On today's show, after an ugly first half against the Brooklyn Nets, the Rockets wake up in the third quarter and take care of business. What changes did they make? How did they clean up their game in the third quarter to be able to pull away with this one? Alper and Shingun with yet another 30 piece performance. Fred Van Vliet dropping in another 20 and 10 game. Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore continuing to carve out and earn rotation minutes and yet another clunky game for Jalen Green. We're going to unpack it all right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingun here in the short row. Oh my, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Tari Eason! Here comes Tari! No! 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Now, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everyday and making the show part of your day every single day. Houston Rockets get the 112-101 win against the Brooklyn Nets. And look, wins against the Brooklyn Nets are always sweeter because the Rockets still own all the Brooklyn Nets draft capital for the next handful of years. So there's some added incentive whenever you face Brooklyn to want to win these games. And Brooklyn is, is teetering on the precipice of looking like a team that might be behooved to blow things up and reacquire their draft picks. Now, we can, that's probably a topic for another day, but it is a topic that we will revisit later on in this show, at least very, very briefly before we wrap this one up. I want you guys to know that I have not had a reason to open Tankathon all season long until this game just to check on the status of the Brooklyn Nets draft pick, which is a, a, I gotta tell you, it's a phenomenal feeling after basically having Tankathon be my homepage all of last season and and every season prior. Um, All right, so the Rockets got this win, uh, but it wasn't an easy win. Uh, It felt like a, it was a really ugly game in the first half, being completely honest here. Uh, This game was not a pretty game in the first half, and largely a lot of that was self-inflicted by the Rockets. Now, I will give uh, the Nets some credit here for some of the defense that they were playing, guys like, uh, Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie, Trenton Watford. Uh, they were just, they were aggressive defensively, uh, more than I expected this Nets team to be and more than I think the Rockets expected them to be uh, just in that first half. So again, the, the, the Nets had a, fir- a halftime lead of one point, 50 to 49, 
which again, based on how poorly the Nets have been playing and more or less how well the Rockets have been playing, especially at home uh, this season, you wouldn't have expected this game to look like this exactly through through two quarters. But the Nets had taken a, ha- a halftime lead, 50 to 49, and a huge part of that was the turnovers for the Rockets. The Rockets had in the first half 12 turnovers. Total on the game, the Rockets had 16 turnovers to the tune of 17 Nets points. But I cannot tell you the number of times the Rockets had these mind-bogglingly bad turnovers in the first half that led to easy transition opportunities or just giving up, you know, second chance, you know, well, not second chance points, but, you know, giving extra possessions to Brooklyn. It's not like they, first off, Brooklyn didn't like shoot the ball better than the Rockets. They didn't, you know, they weren't doing really much of anything better than the Rockets were in this game. Uh, You know, as far as the percentages go, as far as the raw counting stats go, uh, Rockets were, they matched them at the free throw line, four free throws a piece. They, the Rockets shot significantly better from downtown, nine of 18 compared to just six of 22 in the first half against the Nets. The difference in this game was literally the turnovers, specifically the live ball turnovers, the turnovers where, Again, the difference between live ball and a dead ball turnover, right? If you turn the ball over, if you throw it out of bounds and referees blow the whistle and then the opposing team has to take the ball from out of bounds, you know, turnovers in general are not good, but at least, and I shout out to my guy, Ryan Hollins, for saying this, like, I forget if it was like last season or a couple seasons ago, but there was a game where the Rockets kept turning the ball over and he said, look, you'd be better off, you'd be better served to just take the ball and kick it into the fifth row because then at least you get to set your defense, right? Then at least you're playing with a set defense rather than trying to scramble and get back in transition and giving up easy transition opportunities. That's why live ball turnovers are an absolute killer because you're giving the other team a chance to ignite and start a fast break and get out in transition and score easy buckets. It's exactly what was happening in the first half of this game. Uh, the main culprits in the first half, uh, surprisingly, Fred Van Vliet, four turnovers in the first half of this game. That is incredibly uncharacteristic of Fred Van Vliet. Jalen Green had three of them, and then a smattering of other turnovers just kind of up and down the Rockets lineup for the total of 12 turnovers in the first half. That was the first thing that they cleaned up. Uh, and, and honestly, past that, it was the main thing that they cleaned up. They went into the third quarter, and... They had a much stronger third quarter overall. Offensively, Alper and Shingun kind of woke up in that quarter, had a really strong performance, 12 points, four or five shooting. Uh, got to the free throw line uh, five times, hit four of them. So Alpi had a strong uh, third quarter, 12 of his 30 points in that frame. And then Jalen Green, his one his one good quarter of the game, he had nine points on three of six shooting. Uh, got to the free throw line, hit one of them, hit a couple threes. And In that quarter, the Rockets only had one turnover. So they went from 12 first-half turnovers to only one turnover in the third quarter. And that was kind of the game. And that allowed them—I mean, they were—they had, for all intents and purposes, they had an incredible offensive performance in this game, just minus the turnovers. They were shooting the ball incredibly well. For the game, the Rockets managed to shoot— 48.7% from downtown, 19 of 39 on three-pointers. I can't remember the last time the Rockets had this potent of an an outing offensively uh, shooting the three-ball. Free throw line, 19 of 27. You'd like to see that number be a little bit better. The missed free throws didn't exactly kill them in this game. But again, that's something that you want to see gradually improve. And again, it was like a smattering of missed free throws up and down the lineup, you know, one for two for Fred, one for two for Jalen, LP missed a couple. And then Amin Thompson really struggled at the free throw line, only three of seven shooting at the charity stripe for him. But 
the Rockets cleaned up their biggest issue in the first half. They were turning the ball over too much. They took care of the basketball in the third quarter and they were able to win the game because everywhere else the game plan worked. And that's what we're going to revisit uh, and discuss here coming up in just one moment is the uh, defensive game plan, how they were able to slow down the Brooklyn Nets, uh, the incredible defensive job that they did kind of up and down the roster uh, against the Nets, uh, including uh, a really fantastic job, I think, on Mikhail Bridges and a game plan that worked really well against Dorian Finney-Smith. We've also got to talk about your Lockdown Rockets player of the game, Alperin Shingun, yet another 30-piece. He has been on an absolute tear as of late. Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore continuing to gradually get more and more rotation minutes. There was no Tari Eason in this game, so Cam Whitmore getting the nod and Ime Odoka rewarding him for his very, very solid play as well as a bit of a clunker from Jalen Green. We're going to get to all of that here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another, or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast to go along with that as well. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Look, I've done therapy in the past. It can be kind of this really valuable tool in you know, having a therapist kind of walk you through some of the different things that you're trying to accomplish in your life that you need a little bit of extra guidance on. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Locked on MBA. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Some exciting news as Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked on plus our national shows covering every single league. Go to Locked on Sports Today on YouTube. Subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Your locked on Rockets player of the game from this one. How could it be anybody other than Alperin Shingun? That's actually not true. I really did sit here and think about whether it should go to Al P or Fred, just because Fred had a really phenomenal game in this one. But the uh, the turnovers in the first half, I, I think, kind of sealed it for me. Uh, and Al P, you know, he had a thirty piece. Like he's, anyways. Al P is your locked on Rockets player of the game. Honorable mention: Fred Van Vliet. Al P had thirty points. On 11 of 17 shooting, he was 8 of 10 at the foul line. He had 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 1 block, only 2 turnovers, plus 17 in his 34 minutes of run. And look, this is what Alperin Shingun has basically become on a nightly basis, right? He is a walking... 20, 10, and 5, and even even more than that now, he's becoming you know such a force offensively, and the Rockets are continuing to give him the reps offensively to where he's, you know, able to average, you know, 25, 30. Like, he's, he's creeping up there to where I think, you know, for a while, for a long time, myself, many others have wondered, you know, what is the ceiling on Alperin Shingun's usage? Right. Like, like how how much can what what is his scalability, I think, is a good way to put it. Right. Because you can see like 
Look, you can use Boban Marjanovic for like six minutes in a game and he can put up like eight points in a row because nobody can guard him because he just shoots over the top. But Boban isn't exactly a guy that you can scale up to like 36 minutes a night and build a team around and be like, oh yeah, he's going to average 40. He's not scalable. And I think that was one of the bigger questions, you know, revolving around Shingun. The biggest question was, you know, coming into this year was defensively, what's he going to look like under Ime Odoka? And he think he's answered that question, right? The Rockets are able to be a top tier defensive team with Alper and Shingun anchoring that team in the middle. He's grown a ton on that end. That question answered. Good. Done. The other question, though, is can he scale up to like true superstar production? And I think. The the dominance that we saw out of him in that Pistons game, that stretch where he was just he touched the ball every single possession down in the third quarter on his way to 20 points and four dimes like though. That's the kind of production where you're like, oh, damn. Yeah, he can do this and he could do this over the course of a game. And he's getting to a point where he kind of just he'll kind of like coast a little bit in the first half. Like he'll kind of just, you know, he'll, he'll work on, he'll, he'll set screens for his teammates. He'll, he'll do the dirty work. He'll pass the ball. He'll play make, he'll do a little bit of everything in the first half. And then he kind of settles into the third quarter. And he's like, all right, let me like, let me try and take over. Let me do my thing. Let me really hone in and, and focus on scoring the ball. And being able to flip that switch is one of the characteristics of a true star player, a a superstar kind of player, right? We used to see James Harden do that all the time where he would kind of go through a first half of a game and he would focus on facilitating and getting other guys involved and seeing if he could get the team going because if he can get the team going and if he can get his shooters hot and get other guys going, then maybe he doesn't have to put on his big boy pants and carry the team with the scoring burden. But if he can't get his teammates going, if they're having a rough night, whatever, cool. Third quarter rolls around, James Harden, turns the dial up to 11, and he's unguardable. We're seeing Shingun kind of do the same thing a little bit, where he kind of goes through the first couple quarters, he's getting feel for the game, that kind of stuff, and then the third quarter rolls around, he's like, all right, bet, I'm taking this game over. Uh, Love what we've seen out of him, right? It's, uh, I mean, there's there's no team in the NBA that can guard this guy. When he's playing at this level, the only way, the really the only weakness that is still in his game is that outside shooting, I did like that in this game, even though he was 0 of 2 from 3, it did feel like the couple threes that he took, he took with much more confidence. Uh, he has to be able to, he has to be willing to pull the trigger on those shots to keep a defense honest. So, Alper and Shingun continuing to play at an all-star level, uh, which means... Alper Shingun is an all-star. I'm just letting everybody here know it. The Wizard is an all-star. You heard it here first. Shout out to Tari Eason for one of the best drops on the soundboard this season. Uh, And I will say there was like a a bit of weirdness there in that first quarter. Um, Nick Claxton had 10 rebounds in the first quarter. He finished the game with 13 rebounds. So it's not like Nick Claxton was just like dominating the glass or something. It was just he had a lot of rebounds just kind of bounce his way there in the first quarter. Uh, It was kind of weird that he picked up so many rebounds so quickly in the first quarter. I don't want anybody to look at that stat sheet and be like, oh my God, he dominated Shingun on the glass. Not the case whatsoever. Uh, I will say, though, one of the things that the Rockets did schematically that they've continued to do this season, which I actually really think is a smart play, uh, is they continue to place Shingun on a wing player rather than having him guard Nick Claxton. Uh, in this game. So in this game, Shingun was uh, the primary defender on Dorian Finney-Smith, actually, for much of the time that they shared the court together. And 
Now, they changed it up at points in the game. So, like, there was kind of they opened the game with Shingun on Dorian Finney-Smith. There were stretches where Shingun would guard Claxton. And Ime has talked about wanting to switch up the coverages over the course of a game to keep another team kind of like on their toes, right? That way they don't, they can't exactly figure out what you're going to do on any given possession. But I like the creativity in putting Shingun on Dorian Finney-Smith, who came into this game shooting something like, I don't know, like 26, 27% from three over the last like three or four games. Uh, and it worked. It worked really well because you basically challenged Dorian Finney-Smith to be the guy to hit down shots from the perimeter and beat you. And you look at the final box, Dorian Finney-Smith, one of 11 from long distance. So that game plan absolutely worked if you're the Houston Rockets. You look at that and you're very content with how poorly Dorian Finney-Smith shot the ball, only four of 16 overall in the evening. And then you also look at their other kind of, uh, you know, bigger weapons, I, I suppose, uh, you know, in the starting lineup. Dinwiddie, a really quiet game, only five attempts. Uh, don't know what was up with Dinwiddie and why he uh, shot the ball so uh, in, infrequently in this game, just didn't didn't get up any shot attempts, it felt like, really. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, 5 of 18 shooting. Cam Johnson, only 6 of 13 shooting. The Rockets collectively did a really good job on the Nets starters. They kind of struggled at times with the the bench unit. Uh, Dayron Sharp having his way a little bit. 11 points, 12 rebounds. Kind of getting some, some easy gimmies inside the paint. Royce O'Neal, 5 of 13. Not an efficient night, but he had 13 points off the bench for the Nets. Overall... I think the Rockets did a really solid job defending Brooklyn, uh, forcing them into some really tough shots, closing out hard on shooters. Uh, I really enjoyed their defense. It was mainly just their the offensive struggles, specifically the turnovers that they had in the first half, which is why the Nets were you know able to play such a poor game offensively. They shot under 40% from the floor. They shot under 30% from three. They shot under 62% from the charity stripe. Like It was an awful offensive evening from the Nets, they looked like a dumpster fire, but because they were getting all these extra opportunities offensively, you look at the total number of shot attempts, um, the Nets had 93 attempts to the Rockets' 76 attempts. The other area that I would highlight here is the offensive rebounding department. So uh, Nick Claxton did have five offensive rebounds in this game. Dayron Sharp had four. Trendon Watford, Trendon Watford had four as well. So that was another component uh, aside from just the turnovers that the Rockets had to clean up uh, over the remaining portion of this game to give them a chance to win. And again, you walk away thinking, you know, overall, uh, the, the, the Nets still got those offensive rebounds in the second half. I think it was, it was double check 10 of their 15 offensive rebounds in the second half, but because their offense was abysmal, it didn't lead to a ton of second chance points. So it wasn't the end of the world for, or for the Rockets, I should say. Uh, but overall an ugly game that the Rockets woke up, took care of business in the third quarter. Jalen green woke up and had his one good quarter of the game, uh, but he struggled in the other three quarters, uh, which seems about par for the course this season in, in how we've discussed him. Uh, also want to highlight Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore, who continue to grow, look better, and are settling into the rotation. Cam Whitmore getting the nod from head coach Ime Udoka. Udoka? Can't talk. Sorry, I'm all still nasally and gross. Ime Udoka uh, in the absence of Tari Eason in this game. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. 
The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that simple. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live, same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the outright Super Bowl favorites this season, the San Francisco 49ers at plus 210. Right behind them, the Baltimore Ravens at plus 350. Distant third place favorites, the Dallas Cowboys at plus 850. And rounding at the top five, you have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills, both at plus 950. If you want to go with a bit more of an aggressive bet, you can go with the Texans at plus 8,500 to win it all this season. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get into the action this NFL postseason. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel official partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, one guy actually that I completely like just blew past the stop sign of in my notes for that second segment uh, is Fred Van Vliet, who I got, I got, we got a lot to get to in this final. So we might go a little long today. We'll see. We'll see if I can be quick and concise here in this segment. Uh, Fred VanVleet, who I thought had a, another phenomenal game, 21 points, six rebounds, 10 assists. Aside from the four turnovers in the first half, which he cleaned up and didn't have any turnovers in the second half, uh, really great game from him. But what I liked the most was his shot profile. Uh, Fred attempted nine shots. Eight of them were from three-point land. I like that for Fred. Now, there's obviously going to be some games where teams run him off the three-point line, and he has to you know, take what the defense gives him, but... I would love it if Fred pretty much only attempted threes. He's one of the best three-point shooters on the roster. This Rockets team needs guys to, they need to shoot more threes in general. They need guys who are good at shooting threes to shoot more threes. And I'm not a fan of when Fred shoots closer to the basket. It's just, you know, he's never been a great finisher in and around the rim. Sometimes he's able to drive it in and draw contact, get to the free throw line, sure. But he also has moments where he drives the ball in and throws up some BS at the rim and it has no chance of going in. So for Fred... Uh, I really liked his shot profile in this game. And if he can do that on the regular, then uh, this rocket, like that, that's the perfect offensive role for him. I think, right. He did a great job of facilitating, finding guys, setting guys up and you know, it worked, right. It was a phenomenal game from Fred aside from the, the four turnovers. So really liked what we got, got out of him. Uh, Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore, who continue to impress, continue to grow, continue to showcase their skills. Uh, each of them had moments where they looked really, really good in this game. And I, I think the biggest thing, so Amin Thompson, 10 points, three of seven shooting, got to the rim a couple times, hit one of his three threes, he airballed one of his threes. Uh, look, the shooting's going to take time for Amin Thompson. He was only three of seven at the free throw line, too. The shooting will take time, but I love how much confidence Amin plays with. And I love how much confidence Cam plays with like these guys are rookies, but they play with all the confidence in the world. They play like they belong on the basketball court. They don't look tentative. They don't look skittish. They don't look like they're not trying to step on anybody to anybody's toes. Cam Whitmore literally checks into the game and immediately starts letting that thing fly. Like that's what Cam does. Uh, Cam in this game, 11 points on four of seven shooting he was three of five from downtown, two rebounds, one assist, two steals, both of them just, looking like solid rookie players. And that's all you can ask for out of these rookies. And I think the biggest, most important, one of the most important things from this game was that Ime Udoka 
uh, trusted the guys who were in there, Cam and Amin, who, again, Cam Whitmore getting the run with no Tari Eason in this game, uh, trusted that lineup in the fourth quarter, the bench guys, to bring this thing, kind of, you know, carry this thing for a little bit longer than he probably would have. You know, some extended minutes, if you will. Normally, Ime brings back in the starters around the 7, 8, maybe 9-minute mark of the fourth quarter to close the game out. Uh, He held off until, like, the 6-minute mark of the fourth quarter. And when he did bring back in the starters, that's, like, immediately when they went on that flurry where Jay Sean Tate hit his only shot of the game, three-pointer, um... And then, uh, or I apologize, not his only shot of the game, uh, but one of his only two shots of the game. Uh, so Jay Sean Tate hits the three-pointer, then Jabari Smith Jr. hits a three-pointer, then Fred Van Vliet hits a three-pointer, and they push the lead all the way out to an 18-point game. So it goes from a nine-point game to an 18-point game, and it was basically over at that point. But the trust from Ime Udoka to allow those rookies to a play tandem minutes together with the bench unit and B to be out there in the fourth quarter as they were keeping this game kind of at, you know, arm's length from the Brooklyn Nets with keeping that lead. It was, you know, hovering around a nine to like 11, 12 point lead as they were going back and forth there in the fourth quarter. That speaks volumes, right? These rookies are proving and showing that they belong on the court. And at some point, Ime Odoka is going to start having to make some hard decisions because once this team is fully healthy and they've got Dylan Brooks back in the starting lineup and Tari Eason back playing consistent minutes, somebody's going to be the odd man out of this rotation. And I really feel like there's got to be a way to find Cam Whitmore consistent minutes in the rotation. Maybe Aaron Holiday is the guy who bites a bit of a bullet and, and takes a little bit of a backseat. But I do think there's a way, especially in the regular season, especially when you've got a guy like Fred who could probably benefit from a reduced you know, minutes per game total, whatever, then you've got to find a way to just get, you know, Cam, get him like five minutes in the first half of a game, right? And if he's got it going, if he knocks down a couple shots, cool, let him play in the second half. If he doesn't have it going, then you don't let him play the second half, right? Ride the hot hand. And I think you can get away with doing that um, over the course of the regular season, right? That's not, you know, having a, a 10 or maybe an 11-man rotation is is harder to do. It is challenging to do. But at the same time, there's guys that deserve to play on this team. And I think Cam Whitmore has showcased enough talent, enough skill, enough ability, and enough consistency in, in the sporadic minutes that he's gotten that he deserves a crack at the actual rotation. So at least as far as while Dylan Brooks is still out, keep giving Cam Whitmore minutes, please. For the love of God, keep giving him minutes. That brings us to Jalen Green. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I there's 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 times where I, I you know, I love talking about Jalen on this podcast when he plays well. And then there's times when he plays poorly, like in this game. And I don't it's just that's just been kind of the, the story on this whole season. Right. Is Jalen have a couple good games? He looks great. I have a couple bad games where he looks bad, borderline unplayable. And it's the vacillating between the two. It's the back and forth, back and forth. That's just incredibly frustrating. And I remarked on this at halftime of the Nets game when the Rockets were trailing a very bad Brooklyn Nets team because Jalen Green was awful in the first half of that game. He shot one of six from the floor. He had three turnovers. He was playing, you know, eh defense, to say the least. So, like, like at what point, you know, what, and, and I said he was borderline, and I said, I said he was unplayable. And people immediately push back on that. And, and I was just like, look, if you're not knocking down open shots, if you're turning the ball over, if you're not playing great, deep, like, what do you bring to the table? And it, I, I think if you're being objective about it, he was bad in that first half. He was awful in that first half. I think that's the objective truth. 
And then he had a great third quarter. He, he bounced back in a big way in that third quarter. He was awesome in the third quarter. Uh, in the third quarter, Jalen Green had nine points on three of six shooting, two of four from downtown, uh, one of two at the free throw line, and he didn't turn the ball over. He also had two rebounds and two assists. Best quarter of the game by far. It was also his only good quarter of the game. And at what point do we like take the kid gloves off and and stop being okay with Jalen having one, sometimes two qu- good quarters, and then the rest of his quarters are just awful or bad or whatever. Like I just I've never seen fans who are so eager to defend a subpar five of 15 shooting performance. He had 14 points, five of 15 shooting. He had eight rebounds. He had four assists. He also had the four turnovers, three of them in the first half. And like here, here's a thought exercise for you. If, if Jalen green wasn't a Houston rocket, if Jalen green was playing for another team and you were watching his play, as up and down as he's been, as bad as he's been for so much of this season, for basically like the last month almost, would you want him on this Rockets team? Would you be looking at him and saying, yeah, that's a guy that I would want starting for my team. That's a guy that I would want. Or is it the emotional investment and attachment in him being the number two overall pick, the first building block of the rebuild, the uh, heir apparent to the shooting guard throne, that was once James Harden's and then, you know, Rockets fans placed all this pressure on Jalen Green of, oh, well, we had the best two guard of the 2010s. Now we have the best two guard of the 2020s. I, I don't know what to make of it anymore. It, it's frustrating. It's disappointing. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm being too harsh on him at this point. I really don't know because at the end of the day, I haven't seen enough improvement in the areas that truly matter for him. And I just don't know what I just don't know what his future role is going to be. Like, is can he be that off-ball presence? Can he be a guy that's going to knock down shots? I, and I see people saying, "Oh my God, Jalen Green can't have a bad game because then people are going to flame him for it." And it's like, I mean, kind of, yeah. Like when your job is literally you're the shooting guard, it's your job to hit shots, and then you go five of fifteen. Like, yeah, that's a bad game. And yes, he had he had eight rebounds in this game. I'll give him credit for that. But I also didn't think he would like the rebounding was sure he got he got rebounds, right? He got defensive rebounds that were just relatively uncontested defensive rebounds. It's not like he was fighting and clawing and scrapping and boxing guys out and this, that and the other thing. Like it was for the most part, I, I don't remember a singular rebound that stands out in my mind where I was like, oh, yeah, Jalen really fought for that rebound. I think it was just he got rebounds. Cool. Um, you know, and I and I you know, I see, you know, Rockets fans on social media, whatever, get all upset about this and they go, oh, you clearly have an agenda against Jalen Green because why aren't you talking about Jabari Smith Jr.? Well, first off, uh, yeah, Jabari had an awful offensive game, too. There you go. I everybody can everybody can like, nobody is immune to the criticism if they have a bad game. Jabari had an awful offensive game. And, you know, what's even funnier about Jabari's offensive game is I've been clamoring for them to get Jabari more touches. Guess what they did in this game? They got Jabari Smith Jr. multiple touches in the first quarter. They tried to get him going early and he just didn't have it. So they went away from him and and he hit that one three pointer late. That's fine with me. Like they tried to get him going. He didn't have it. Cool. Guess what else Jabari Smith Jr. did in this game? He got 12 rebounds. He played great defense. He has size. He was switchable. Like, he plays a completely different position, and his role is completely different from Jalen Green's. Jalen Green's role is as an offensive focal point and as a 
and at times as a primary ball handler and a guy who's supposed to create for himself and others and all of this, there's a lot more pressure on Jalen Green. There's a lot more that comes with his role than the expectations on Jabari Smith Jr. Also, Jabari is in year two of his NBA career. Jalen Green is in year three. There's a different level of expectations across the board. So when you try to throw a straw man argument in my face, like, oh, well, you're only talking about Jalen Green. Why aren't you talking about Jabari Smith Jr.? Jabari was bad in this game. Are you happy now? Like, I don't... Like, if a player plays bad, I will talk about it. And Jalen Green has been the player who's played the worst throughout this entire season of any of the other Rockets players. He's been the weakest link of the starting lineup. So when he plays bad, it's going to be highlighted. And at this point, I'm just exhausted talking about it because there's almost no winning. We, we can't have genuine basketball discussions as Rockets fans anymore, it feels like. And it's unfortunate because, look, at the end of the day, I, I would love to see Jalen Green succeed. I want to see him succeed. I have a similar level of emotional investment in his success just as you probably do, right? Number two overall pick, first building block of the rebuild, all the points that I highlighted earlier. I just don't know what to make of it at this point, right? You know, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Get, at this point, I'm just going to stop getting myself excited when it looks like he's turned a corner, when it looks like he's settled in and, you know, found a new role, a niche, or if he's starting knocking down shots. Because at this point, the only consistent thing about Jalen Green's game is that he is inconsistent. That's basically it. That's what we've learned this season. And if it continues to be more or less the same thing, then, I, you know, the Rockets are going to have some hard decisions that they're going to be faced with. You know, I, I said it in that podcast a few few episodes back, right? How much more time does Jalen Green get? When you've got guys like Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore, you know, a little bit further down the bench who are continuing to grow and look good and look ready, you know, Cam Whitmore is a bucket. Cam Whitmore isn't afraid to knock down those shots and hit and hit three-pointers and be that quick scoring punch off the bench. And he looks a lot more confident and sure of himself in that role, at least at times, than Jalen does. So... Maybe it's just a bigger learning adjustment than I thought it would it would take for Jalen Green to, to grasp and to understand what to do and how to, you know, be the best version of himself with this Rockets team. And and right now, at the end of the day, like, I just I don't even know. Am I am I being unfair in this criticism of criticism of Jalen Green? You know, how much more time should he get? Should I, you know, back off a little bit? Am I being too harsh? Um, is it too much to expect a player a guy who's supposed to be a, a, a an automatic bucket who's, who's scoring is supposed to be the best part of his game. Is it unfair to expect that player to knock down wide open shots? Like, I just, I don't know where, I don't know where I'm being unfair with Jalen because at the end of the day, it's year three and he's improved as a defender. Wasn't great this game, but he's improved as a defender overall. He's improved as a playmaker. He's improved at making decisions and reads for sure. There have been improvements to his game, but there's areas that he hasn't improved in, right? He still doesn't have a tight handle. He still gets poke checked all the time. Uh, he still hasn't added much, if anything, to his bag offensively. Um, he doesn't have many moves or counters to create, to get open. It's just that lightning. It's just that, you know, I'm going to go one speed and try to get past you. And then he gets to the rim and he still gets like denied at the rim constantly. He got swatted multiple times by Nick Claxton in this game, right there at the rim. Just because he goes one speed and he doesn't know how to, you know, absorb contact and then try to finish over the top or, you know, he'll sometimes he'll get to the paint and he'll do that. He'll pump fake and then turn around and do that little like turn around fade away, like, you know, three, five feet away from the basket or whatever. Didn't see that in this game. Didn't see him try to counter the size of Nick Claxton at the rim with any any kind of move. So I don't know. You know, it's 
it's frustrating. I want to see him succeed, but at the same time, I'm going to stop getting my hopes up at this point because the way that he has played in his career to this point and the way that he continues to play this season resembles that of basically a sixth man, right? A spark plug guy who he can get hot. And when he's hot, cool, you ride the hot hand, he can win you some games. But that's not the guy that you want eating up 30, 35 minutes of time as an NBA level starter. That's the guy that you plug in off the bench. You give him, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 minutes in the first half. And if he's got it, if he's on fire, if he knocks down some shots, if he got, if he's, if he's on a hot streak, cool, you ride the hot hand and maybe he'll win you a couple games, but the inconsistency is painful and it didn't hurt. It didn't kill the rockets in this game because the nets are an awful team and they're playing awful basketball right now, but it could have killed them and it has killed them in other games this season. So that's kind of where the Rockets are at. And I've got, you know, people who say, oh, well, the Rockets won by double digits. Why are you upset? Because they won by double digits because they played a bad team. What happens when they play the good teams, right? You can't have these kinds of games when you play the good teams. If you want to be a good team, if you want to be a playoff team, if you want to continue building good habits and being, you know, a, a good playoff caliber basketball team, you have to iron out the weak links in the roster. And right now, Jalen Green is the weakest link on the Rockets roster, at least of the starting lineup. So... Maybe I'm being too harsh on him. I really don't know at this point. You give me your thoughts. You 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 give me your thoughts on Jalen Green. You give me your thoughts on this game in the YouTube comments. Now, I did promise that I would open up Tankathon for a quick uh, Brooklyn Nets pick watch. And after the Rockets beat them down in the second half, the pick that the Brooklyn Nets owe to the Rockets this year, uh, unprotected, uh, their 2024 draft first round draft pick is currently sitting at number 10. Uh, so they're just ahead of the Utah Jazz, just behind the Atlanta Hawks. So it's currently the 10th overall pick, which means if we sim this lottery, let's see where the Rockets land. Uh, let's do, come on, lottery sim. Eh, staying at number 10. Okay, not the end of the world, but uh, that's that's not bad. And again, the Nets are slowly getting to a point where if they continue to look bad this season, if they continue to, to, you know, bottom out, if that pick starts to float towards the top five of the draft, if you're the Rockets, what do you do? Do you want to hold on to that pick and, and draft another young talent or, you know, first off, SAR would be incredible. If you could, if you could get your hands on SAR, that would be an amazing pairing with uh Alper and Shingun, uh, or just a, an amazing kind of, you know, flip with Alper, whatever. Uh, I will say, look, it becomes more and more enticing if you're the Brooklyn Nets, the idea of a trade package centered on getting your picks back and trading Mikhail Bridges. Um, so maybe there's something there. Maybe that's a, a discussion that we can revisit in a later episode. Not that Mikhail Bridges had a phenomenal, uh, you know, showing here, you know, a, a, you know, a job interview, if you will. Uh, showcasing his skills in front of the Rockets, but Mikhail's been incredible, and he's also being asked to be a number one option when that's not what his role is. He's not a number one option. He's a really great like third option, and he's a, still one of the best premier you know three D wings in the entire NBA. And he showcased a lot more skills with the Nets. But anyways, I don't want to go too far off the off the rails here. That's our final segment. Those are final thoughts from this one. Give me your thoughts in the YouTube comments. Let me know your thoughts from this game. Tell me how you felt about Alpi's 30-piece, his continued decimation of the NBA on his uh, quest to become an all-star, Jalen Green's continued struggles, 
uh, and what the Rockets should do with those Nets picks, especially as they keep creeping up the lottery board. But with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. <laughs>